In the basement of the mud flap house, flapping and poo, and the under with the grains of news, and poo licks itself, and flap contemplates manly things. He thinks about guns and trucks and stooges three, men and boys, and that doesn't sound right. He thinks about boobs and bacon and power tools. Come with me, let your mask you lay. Oh, won't you come with me and remask Oh, hey guys. Oh, welcome back to another episode of Remasculate with your host, Steve Mudflap McGrew. That'd be me. I am so excited about today's podcast. I mean, so excited. I've tried for a while to get this guy on. I've reached out and he, you know, I just haven't been able to nail it down. He's a great guy, super friendly guy, said, yes, let's do the podcast, but the timing has never been good. But all of a sudden we realized with this, uh, this COVID thing, we both had a lot of free time on our hands. So we got together and said, yes, let's record the podcast. So I'm so excited to have on as my guest, legendary actor. You guys know him from so many movies. Um, most people I know will probably say, yeah, I know Nick from Justified. Oh, what a great, awesome series that was. And we're going to ask some questions about that and maybe find out if there might be a reunion or a movie. You never know. You never know. So please welcome to the Remasculate Podcast. Nick Searcy. Let's do this. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I like the hat. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have to be anywhere so I can wear anything I want. Don't you love that? Yeah. I'm actually not hating the social distancing too bad. Well, I was telling my wife, I've been doing this for about five years. Really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm my uh, I, I do a lot of cruise ship work, you know, stand up on cruise ships. So, oh, yeah. um, basically, I stay in my room all day and work at night. So, the only difference is I'm just not going to work at night. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm usually isolated anyway. Well, I'm glad you did, glad you could do this, found time to do it. Yeah. Well, we, we've, we've all got time for everything now. Everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. That my daughter was saying that she's like, I can't tell people I'm too busy anymore. I don't know what to say. It's like I have to actually tell them I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, it, you know, I, I posted on Twitter the other day that it's kind of the good side of this COVID thing is it may realize, make people realize we can slow down and just right. have a little better life. Like you don't have yeah. to be go, 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 go. Right, right. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, let's um, uh, let's get started here. I, uh, I'm Let happy- me get let me get my supplies. So okay. That I don't get up. I, I got my, my co- I got my coffee here too. Yeah, I've got to get I've got to get the needles and the little rubber strap. In case, <laughs> in case the, the the fix wears off. Okay. All all right. Well, welcome to the Remasculate Podcast, Nick. We're we're here with Nick Searcy. Actor and uh, and conservative, I can say that, right? I think so. Yeah, might as well. Some people might not know it, but most people do. So. Well, I realized it uh, when you guest hosted for Rush a while back. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't let a lot of left of uh, leftists do that. No, uh, 
mostly. <laughs> How did that come about, by the way? I always wondered because, you know, just it was sort of out of nowhere. I, I turned into it, Rush and I'm like, that's that's Nick. <laughs> it's a funny story. You know, Rush was a big fan of Justified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he used to always talk about it on the show, which I was very excited because I listened to Rush about every day. And then one day my phone blew up and somebody said that Rush just mentioned you by name on the show. And so I was at that point, I think I was uh, friends with David Limbaugh on Twitter. And so, you know, I tracked it down and I listened to it and I sent David a message. And he basically Rush had said something like, you know, Justified was back on last night and, and Nick Searcy was on. He wasn't in the first episode. It was glad, I was glad to see him back on the show. And it was like, OK, this is great. You know, <laughs> does, does Rush want me to come on? You know, and so. David Limbaugh texted Bo Snurdly, whatever. So two days later, Rush had me on as like a guest, you know, which is like Rush never has. Guests. Never, never has a guest. So we were I was on for about 12 minutes and we talked about the show and people were joking me that I was I was on longer than Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of how it started. You know, we got to be friends. And then when um, when Rush came out and spoke to the. Uh, top secret Hollywood conservative group, which, uh, you know, friends, friends of, yes, yes. Shh, shh, don't let anybody know that, you know, yeah, it's it, it, anyway, but he, when he came out, since I had been on his show, they let me introduce him. So I sort of introduced rush and, you know, made a big deal about me being on the show. And then one thing led to another. And I jokingly said, most nerdly, you guys ought to let me host one day. And they said, you really want to do that? And you're like, hell yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how it came about. But you haven't done it since. It was so good. I kept <laughs> waiting for one more. Like you might become like the, the Jay Leno of Johnny Carson. You know, like I'm going to take a couple days off and here's Nick. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't like it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it hasn't happened again. I do know that mostly what they do is – Whenever Rush is, especially now, because Rush sometimes will take off with not too much notice. Yeah. And that was always the case. I mean, they told me that from the beginning, that sometimes he just like, so they have to go with people that already have their equipment set up. Right. So they just go to Ken Matthews in, in Philadelphia, or they go to Todd Herman in you know, Seattle or wherever he is, and, and Mark Stein. They already have their yeah. mechanism set up so they can just flip a switch and there they are with me they had to fly me in and they had to put me up in a hotel and you know both nerdly had to be there with me to hold my hand so it was a much bigger deal to have right right now how do you like mark stein how does he how does he rate on your your oh, list he, well he makes me laugh every day me you know, too time, yeah it's like he he cracked me up today I, I can't remember exactly what it was but he always he always makes me laugh i i really like ken matthews too and uh, and Todd, I'm Todd Herman, I like them all. Of course, I'd be better, but you know. Of course, <laughs> uh, of of course. Now, well, I'm going to go back to the beginning with you just a little bit because I I did a little bit of investigation. I by the way, I've been a big big fan for years, as I've told you before. So, well, thanks, um, thanks. you you are one of those guys. I've always wanted when I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a character actor. And I took acting and because I was always a, f a fan of people like Struther Martin and and people like that that was in every movie in the world and you go, "Hey, there's that guy again." Right. There's that guy again. <laughs> George Kennedy and Yeah. And, 
Slim Pickens and those guys. Right, yeah. right. Every time you turn on a, a Gunsmoke rerun, you go, he's playing another character. Right. It, yeah, well, see, I never wanted to be that. I wanted to be Paul Newman, but, you know, it, it worked out the way it worked well, out. No, is, now, is, is that the truth? Is that where you were aiming toward that? Because what I was going to go with this, I knew you played in a band, right? Well, you were in a band at Younger. Yeah, yeah. For a long time, all through college until I was about 22, I played in bands all through high school and college, yeah. What was your what was your band's name? Nick Fear, the most terrifying name in rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> now, what did y'all what did y'all play? Was it rock and roll? Were you punk or what was the Well, the best way to describe it, I would call it anthem rock. We played like uh Born to Run and Running on Empty and, you know, just sort of... Um, oh, Jackson Brown fan, huh? Yeah, big Jackson Brown fan. Me big too. Did you see the song he just released two days ago? No. He has a no. brand new song that just came out. And uh, it, it it's a total return to, like, Saturate Before Using or Late for the Sky. It has oh, the cool. same feel. Wow, I'll, I'll check that out because I really didn't... After Boulevard record, I sort of yeah, know, me too. <laughs> kind of got bad, you know. I I wore I wore out for every man, uh, you know. Yeah. Late for the Sky album, all those were over and over. Yeah, well, that's basically how the band came about. Is I just kept teaching myself how to play those songs on the piano because I loved them so much. And then we just, you know, hey, we would just go. I would just go play them in the uh, in the commons area on the piano. And then people started coming up and playing with me and we wound up putting together this band and we, were, we played a lot of gigs for three or four years. You were a jam band sort of, but, they, you just kind of but you know, my guitar player in that band is uh, Andy York, who is now John Mellencamp's guitar player has been for 20 years. Ah, so we were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what made, well, I, I had a band in high school and I, I realized that I was not going to ever make it as a musician because it just wasn't quite right. But I thought if I make it at stand-up comedy, I can bring the music back like Eddie Murphy did. You yeah. know, like, yeah. and, and I've always had this thing. I still play and sing. I had a band not long ago when I was a radio DJ. So yeah. I, I don't give up on it. I just – it's not a dream I pursue heartily. Right. Look at Rodney Carrington. I mean, Rodney's made a – you know, about half his act is song. Yeah. You know? But my problem with making it in the music business is that I, I hated every song I wrote. Every, every, every time I write a song, I go, that sucks. I don't want to that. <laughs> What were the title of some of your songs? There was literally one called We Don't Suck, which was about my, uh, <laughs> my high school band. <laughs> about how we only knew four songs and everybody said we sucked. And so, you know, chorus was, we don't suck. Yeah. Uh, so your transition from music to acting, how did that how did that come about? Did you want to do that or did you get kind of discovered? I was acting I was doing acting first actually. I mean, I started uh, acting as a kid. I started acting when I was in, about in the 5th grade or something that the local university needed a a child actor in a play. And um they came down to the school going as any kids down here, you know, do you think would be uh Good for a play, and the, the fifth grade teacher goes, that Cersei kid has been doing Tom Jones impressions in, in, during talent show, during show and tell, so I'm sure he'd do it. So Yeah, and that's how, that's how it happened, huh? Yeah, and I did a play, and I loved it, and then I did another play with the university the next year, and, and kind of after that, it was just like, I really, I did a play at least once or twice a year, every year after that. 
Well, let me. Uh, I'll ask. My summer after my summer after I graduated from high school, I, I, I did this little summer theater and, and uh, did five plays, and you know, I just sort of that was it. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Really, the yeah. band is just something I did for fun. I, I really was always an actor. Yeah. Now, did you ever have trouble or uh, w- memorizing lines? Was that easy for you? Or did that come easy? Yeah, it actually did. Yeah, that, that uh, I'm kind of uh, blessed in that way. Uh, memorizing things was never a big, big deal for me. I could usually the way I did it is I would write the, I would write it out, and you know, and then by the time I had written it and said it a few times, you know, oh, you know, I, I've never thought of that. I've, I've had acting classes, and mm-hmm. I've always had a little trouble mem- not being able to memorize lines that I didn't write. Like if I write my stand-up, I don't have any problem being on stage for an hour and a half. But yeah. somebody else's lines just did not stick in my head. I think that that's kind of part of why it helps me is because it, it sort of it makes it yours. You know, you're writing it out. And like I, I started doing that when I was in college and I was doing Romeo. You know, I was playing Romeo. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, you know, all these speeches. And so I just sort of had to, you know, keep cranking them out and writing them until I could, could remember it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that's the, the difference. You're talking about doing plays because you can, you have to know all that in your head, all that and the blocking and all that compared to the, the few things that I have done where they go, okay, now say your line. Right. Now, now we're going to move the camera over here. Now say it again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a different skill. I mean, film film is still challenging, but it's yeah, it's it's uh, in some ways plays are easier in that you get to do the whole thing at once. You know, you don't have to remember where you are, except you know you're playing the whole thing out in real time. You know, and and memorizing it is hard, but yeah. you know, it's also hard to just sort of make it you know say your line and have it be believable when it's totally un, un- unbelievable and unrealistic all around you. Yeah, I went to see a play uh, in London. I went to see the uh, good. Not was it? Um, what was the the roommate? Uh, odd fe- not for Odd Fellows. Odd, uh, odd couple. Odd couple. I saw that in in London with with Jack Klugman years ago, and I never could get past the disbelief that they weren't on stage with fake walls. It 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 never. I never got past it. I I enjoyed it. I liked what they did, but it never yeah. felt like I was watching a really good movie. But so I guess True. you're not supposed to, though. Right. True. It's a it's a different it's a different medium. It's just a different art form. Really. Did you ever have one of those moments that, like, on the the F- Friends trivia Joey Tribbiani movie what, like, move where you're like, what's my next line when you're on the st- <laughs> when you're on the stage. Yeah, I mean, it's happened. I don't remember any specific. I I remember other people losing (laughs) this lot much more than me. I don't remember me doing it. Do you see see the fear come over them? That's what I've always thought. When you're on there, on stage, in front of all those people, and you totally blank, and you're just looking at the next actor, is there like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do? Yeah, that's the tough part. It's like... You know, it was like, okay, how can I get this person back on track? <laughs> what can I say to remind him what his next line is? Yeah. yeah. So, right, so you went from music to acting. Uh, what was your very first memorable role that people might go, oh, yeah? Um, 
well, you mean film? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the first thing that I ever really did that came out was Days of Thunder. And it was uh-huh. actually kind of a very memorable scene, even though it's only one scene. But um, I'm like the state trooper who knocks on the door and gets everybody out of the truck. And then the other fake state trooper, who's a woman, opens her shirt. And it's a joke on Tom Cruise. You know? Yeah. But, so that was kind of the first thing I did. We had moved back to North Carolina from New York uh, so that we could have our, our daughter because we were living in a fourth floor four story walk up and, and, and we just said, we got to get out of here. We can't have a baby here. Yeah. That's, so. that's sort of where, uh, when I was living in LA, I wrote and sold a, a sitcom to, to Disney and mm-hmm. it didn't get, get picked up. And I did this whole thing about, I'm moving back to Colorado. I don't want to raise my kid here anyway. I'm just going to take this yeah. money I got and leave. Yeah. And so I think, I think people do that a lot, don't they? Yeah, I know. I should have done it. It's too damn late now, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd gotten out of here. Well, actually, we did. I mean, part of the time that uh, we moved here for a while, and then I got a show in 1995 called American Gothic, which actually relocated me to Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We stayed there for nine years. We tried to make it work with me living there. And it did for a while. You know, I wound up doing a series in Florida and then this and that. But then eventually it just became like dad's always gone. Dad's always in L.A. So we just moved back. Yeah. Just- yeah. When I, I moved here to, to Denver, I kept getting calls from I was with APA at the time. And they were like, can you be here tomorrow for an audition? I'm like, I'm in I'm in Denver. <laughs> can I have yeah. a, can I have a little more heads up? And that finally was the demise of my LA agency was they kinda like, You're you're never here, we can't work with you, you're you know. But well, I think it's, it's changed yeah, now. Everything's on tape now. Yeah. I never need anybody. Everybody just sends their audition in through the internet. So Yeah. I had a I a weird th- thing i don't know if you've ever had anything where somebody just saw something you did online and contacted you like they were watching one of my videos and somebody said would you be interested in reading for uh, a part in walking dead because they saw one of my videos and i'm like yeah they sent me a a thing and uh got i had a semi callback because they wanted me to record it record it again (laughs) i guess that's the new callback is record it again do that over yeah (laughs) but it it ended up going to somebody else but it was just nice to be discovered by something online yeah sometimes i get discovered by something i put online and it's just hate mail (laughs) (laughs) how how are you dealing with that because you have now gone from being a very beloved actor, and you still are, but you know the hate is coming now. You're feeling, you're feeling it. Well, it, it you know, it's not coming from anybody that uh, affects me. You know, it's like I, I, sure, I get a lot of crap from anonymous cowards on Twitter or whatever, but you know, I, I you know, nobody, nobody says anything to my face. You know, nobody, nobody in the business even like has ever told me, oh, I'm not going to work with you because of the way you think. Yeah. It may happen. That yeah. may be the case, but they would never say it to my face. Right. Now, you've, we're, I've been reading some things lately about uh, you'd like the more conservative Hollywood, that you're leaning to have projects done that way. Well, it's you know it's funny. It's what we're trying to do is uh, I'm working with some guys called uh, that have a thing called Creato which is a, uh, it's a platform. And 
I keep telling everybody it's not necessarily a conservative platform. All it all it is is a platform that doesn't discriminate against conservatives. Yeah. You know, it's it's a platform where, you know, if you want to make a film that's uh, you know Hollywood doesn't want to make or that it's it's you know it's pro America or whatever, then you you'd have a place that could finance it that could distribute it for you. Right. Because that's what happens here. It's it. You just can't get your movie made, and if you do get it made, you can't get it released. Which is sort of what happened with Gosnell, right? Yeah, I mean that was the thing we went through. We took us three years after the film was finished. It took us three years to get somebody to release it because everybody was afraid of it because it was. Uh, it, it's not. It, I mean, to put it in a nutshell, the the sales agent said, "This is a really good film." And it should find an audience. But what I'm getting from everybody is I like this, but I don't want to be the one to release it because I got to work that's left us, you know, next week. Yeah. And I don't want to be the guy that released that movie. Yeah. You know? Well, so that's how it works. Yeah. That's that's what sort of happened with me and and my sitcom with, with Disney when I was out there is that they were like, yeah, we liked it. We bought it. We don't know what to do with it because now we don't want to be the one that seems to be pushing this this kind of conservative show and that's why it didn't get picked up that's right i mean you could and and you know look at what happened to tim allen's show yeah i mean that was the best the highest rated sitcom on abc and they dumped it just yeah. because they didn't want to be the ones that were releasing that awful conservative show yeah and so they just went to another network and kept going you know and that and that's the thing it's like that's what i keep telling people there's an audience out there if we can if we can get this platform built, we don't have to be afraid of these bullies anymore because we won't have to kowtow to them. Let them do whatever they want, and we'll do whatever we want and let the market decide. Isn't that sort of now what John Snyder is doing? Have you been keeping track yeah. of what? Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty much what he's doing. Absolutely. But he's hampered in the sense that he, you know, he has to do everything himself. Right. You know, he does not have. There's not a Netflix or, a, you know, some sort of support system for him. So, you know, and he's doing fine. I mean, I think that's that's great what he's doing. But I just I just want to make it. I just want to create something where we don't have to be afraid of them anymore, that they're not they're not the gatekeepers anymore because they're not. No, I mean, the, the Internet has opened everything up to where, you know, pretty soon it's just going to be I like that guy. I'm going to buy his stuff. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be ABC, CBS, NBC. They're trying to figure out a way to survive right now. Yeah. And this is the perfect time to, to just basically go around them or go over them. Yeah. Well, mutual. we have a mutual friend in, in Christian uh, Toto. And, oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we have talked about how how possibly things will just be so much streamed because you can have your own channel. You know, yeah. now you could absolutely have your own channel and you could absolutely. do whatever you want to do. Like app TV has made it possible to just go, you know, if somebody wanted to watch doll making on Tuesdays with Debbie, there's a right. channel for that. That's right. That's right. And you can I think it's all going to be pay-per-view before it's over with. You're, everybody's going to find shows that they like. I mean, I know that my my wife, if she had to pay ten dollars a day to watch flip or flop. She would, <laughs> you know, she, it's always on. <laughs> what is it with that channel and women? Uh, it, uh, my, I don't know. They, uh, they, they look at it and they say that we could do that. No, we can't. We can't do that. 
that's not the way to do that. Oh, they're going to mess that up, you know. But, yeah. And I just walk through the room and go, you are literally watching paint dry. That's what you're Literally. <laughs> <laughs> you are literally watching paint. Well, well, I tell you what bugs me is when I watch that, like the new home buyers, when the brand, like first time buyers, and they're like, we only have $950,000 to work with. Like, I know. What? Your yeah. first, your first time? Yeah. I had I had like twelve thousand dollars first time. Yeah, and and most of them, it's like you know, I, I was kind of shocked that I was talking to somebody who did one of those shows. I think it was Beach House, one of those Beach House shows, and my wife was like talking about maybe we should buy a Beach House. We should get on one of those shows, and you know, I I, I said I know the guy, and so I wrote him, and he's like. Yeah, you know, really, these shows are made for people who've already bought their beach house. It, it's not. I said, you don't really buy it on the show? That's so un... Buy. You're lying to us. <laughs> it's, it's all faked. It's been faked. It's like wrestling for houses. Totally fake. I want a, I want a congressional committee to look into that. Well, I, I actually thought about that same thing myself because one of the production companies, High Noon, is here at, in Denver. And I yep. thought... Uh, back when I was a radio DJ, I was trying to contact them and thought, wouldn't it be nice to have like, we're going to remake this radio DJ's house into a more music friendly kind of, you know, just, yeah. I would have turned it over to them and let them do whatever they wanted just to get it done, you know? Yeah. But yeah. they weren't interested. No, no. It's, it's uh, the reality show world. That's a, that's a tough, tough field to break into really. Well, I don't think they do reality TV like they used to. Uh, to, to do a little name dropping, CB, I met C.B. Harding who did Ozzy Osbourne's show. Mm-hmm. And C.B. told me that they used to film everything. That, that They really did cameras all over the house, filmed yep. everything, and then it was edited together. Sure. And, and so now a lot of these shows are shot they're just right. like, we're, we're going to put you in this restaurant. She's going to walk over and say, what are you doing here? And you flip the table. Yeah, it's like actors. Yeah, they, they just – and, you know, what the heck? I mean, they've, 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 they've let the cat out of the bag. Acting isn't brain surgery, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's try that again. But right. Bring it down about 10%. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. What was the best – Speaking of which, what would you say was been the best director you've ever worked with that was actually could could get something, get performances that you felt like this guy knows what he's doing? You know, I've I've been I've been fortunate. I've worked with a lot of really good directors. Um, I always go back to John Avnet. John's one of my favorites, and John did Fried Green Tomatoes, mm-hmm. which is my 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 big break, so to speak. That's where I remember that. I think the first time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and John actually he directed a couple of episodes of Justified every year too, and so I would I always joke with John, "Hey, it's the guy who discovered Nick Cersei." And John, <laughs> yeah, people tell me that, but they don't mean it as a compliment. But, well, um, your your acting style to to me is very much you. Like you, right. you have that. Uh, I'm going to say John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart kind of thing, where you you are yourself. You're very good at yourself. Your your real life character. So, do you find yeah. that that's what you're doing is basically just being real on in front of the camera? Well, that's that's definitely what I've tried to do in the last few years. Is is uh, because 
in a sense, there's so many actors out there, so many things, so many choices. And so I figure my best choice is to uh, do it the best way I can do it. Yeah. Rather than try to fit some artificial thing. It's like, if you want me to do this, this is how I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, have you ever had one of those situations? Because I, I remember hearing it like, you know, when you go to audition, make a choice and go with it. You know, how did you decide to make a choice? Like, I've decided this character should have a slight lisp and a limp. You know, how do you how does how do actors decide what that that choice is supposed to be? I'd have to say, in my case, it's just basically intuition. I mean, you, you kind of you, you read the script, you sort of think, try to get a sense of what this character's function is in the story and what they're supposed to do. And then you make your choices based off of that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'd say, for example, this movie Greater that I did where, you know, I'm supposed to be it's a it's a football movie and I'm supposed to basically be Satan. Yeah. I'm like there to tempt the guy <laughs> to say, don't believe in God. All that God stuff is nonsense. But, you know, the character was written to be a farmer. And so that sort of I said, well, OK, I see this guy with a cane. Let's make him a little bit twisted and a little bit limp, like, you know, more like that serpent idea that said sort of Satan thing. And, yeah. You know, and, and just that that's sort of it. I mean, you just sort of let your. I try to just let my mind make decisions and then uh, make choices and then not let my wife talk me out of them before. Because <laughs> <laughs> she always goes, are you going to do it with that stupid accent? Are you going to do it with that stupid limp? Why are you wearing that hat? That's stupid. You know, so I just try to. Uh, and sometimes she's right. So then I have to navigate that. Well, how are, how are you on auditioning? Do, do you feel like you do auditions well or do you think they kind of go, we want Nick Searcy, so let's go well, this you know, I, I used to be really good at it. I, I always felt like I was a really good auditioner, but now I don't audition anymore. You know, it's like I don't I don't really get to. Get me Nick Searcy, that kind yeah. of thing. Or don't know not Nick Searcy. <laughs> <laughs> it's one or the other. It's like, let's give it to Nick, or it's like, no, for sure not no Nick Searcy. I, I, I had read a thing a while back about Michael Mad, Madsen, the actor, and said that he had trouble auditioning. Like he just did, couldn't do it, didn't do it well. But if yeah. you put him on set in costume, he became the character. He knew what yeah. to do, and that and that's always seemed more appealing to me. It was like, yeah, just let's look, let's go pretend. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, some Madsen's a really gifted actor on on camera. He really is. He's really good. I uh, I don't know him personally, but uh, you know, I I think that that's uh, it's just different for every every actor. I mean, some people are terrible on screen and they're good auditioners. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why you see so much uh, bad stuff from time to time. But. Now, do you ever uh, wish that Justified might come back in some way, shape or form, uh, whether it's a limited or a movie? I think it will. I think there is going to be a movie. I'm not sure when, but, uh, you know, I always tell people I'd be surprised if I'm in it. Really? You know, if, if they do a justified movie, like Art will have retired and he'll be a greeter at Walmart. You know, he's not going to be on the job anymore. Yeah, but then they'll come back and find you. They need you. They'll go to the actually one of the scenes is they go to Walmart. And they- I think that's a good. I think that I keep telling him. I said, if you want a spinoff, Art Mullen, Walmart greeter. That is. <laughs> 
there's a lot of bad stuff that happens at Walmart. They need somebody that, that like art there. It's like that's you know, right. Going through the and going through the aisles, going pull up your britches, son. <laughs> <laughs> yep, somebody's trying to make off with another cart. I got to go get them. Uh, now, what was the? I'm trying to remember the actor Walt. Uh, well, God. Uh, yeah. Now, how was he to work with? You know, I didn't work with. Uh, I probably worked with Walt about two days out of the whole six seasons because uh, it was always just me and Raylan. You know, Raylan would go out and meet all the guest stars and kiss all the girls and shoot people, and then he'd come back to the office <laughs> and, and I go, "What the hell? Yeah, why didn't you sleep with her? And you shot that guy. Get out of here. I'm gonna need your badge." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't. I didn't really work with a lot of the other people. Ah, but but it would be a, a good thing to come back. I think so many people that know you know you from that show. I mean, oh that's, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely uh, the most uh, the thing. The two things that most people remember, I'd say three, four. It's just a castaway uh, from the Earth to the Moon and Fried Green Tomatoes. Those are the those are the big four. Do Do you think Do you think that uh, westerns have a chance of coming back. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you why I ask this, because more and more people that I talk to have become big fans of Western reruns. Like even yeah. some younger people I know are like, oh, you know, I, I never watched Gunsmoke before, but I really enjoy it. I watch it with the family. So yeah. I'm wondering if that genre it might be time to bring back. Yeah, it, it, it could work. I mean, uh, a lot of what's happening with the Hollywood scene right now, though, is that Everything's being made for kids. Everything's being made for people under 30. Yeah. So if you're over 30, they don't really care what you like. (laughs) True. But guess who has the money? I've never understood that. I know you've heard that in Hollywood, too, that they want the demographic. They shoot for this this demographic. But I find that older people have more income than the people that they're actually shooting for. Right. That's true. But part of what going, I mean, advertising money is always, uh, you know, they're trying to brand you. They're, they're trying to get their branding in on you when you're young. Mm-hmm. So if they can get you going, you know, I like uh, Starbucks coffee by the time you're 30, you're you're never going to be satisfied with anything else. Yeah. You, know, you want that for the rest of your life. And so that's kind of the, that's why they target that audience, at least with television. Well, one of the things I find annoying with television and even with movies now in a way is the beautiful person casting. Like everything has to be beautiful. Every uh, medical examiner is a 25-year-old chick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and And you think, how could a show as great as Streets of San Francisco ever made it with Carl Malden? Yeah. You know? How yeah. are you not? How are you not staying in reality with these shows? Uh, an aide, a detective who's really good, has been thirty years on the job. Right. Well, it, it always reminds me of this one. I did an episode of Criminal Minds a long time ago, and and I'm uh, we're going through this serial killer's house, and I play this like fifty-five year old Miami detective who's been on the job thirty years, and like I'm going through the house with the twenty-six year old uh-huh. detective. You know, blonde, beautiful blonde detective from Criminal Minds, and I'm going into the freezer, and there's all these bodies in there, and I'm like, I say, "Oh my God!" And the 26 year old girl goes, "Come on, man, get it together." <laughs> like you, okay. you'd never seen this kind of stuff before. <laughs> there's something a little off here, but you know, it's not my show, so let's go with it. 
what what would have been your favorite shows of the past if we we're talking reruns what what shows did you find like man had couldn't you're not miss program you mean that i was in no just in in a person in your oh. personal life what, oh, what wow. were your favorite shows um let's see gosh you know what i never miss is monday night raw <laughs> were you a, a, you a wrestler fan? I'm a big wrestling fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I never. I literally. I never miss it. Um, I just watched WrestleMania yesterday with no audience. It was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I they can't. Did, I can't imagine they did, that. They did the whole show with no audience. Did they, they did still it. do this like they're yelling at the crowd or I'll tear your yeah. head off and? Yeah, they're still doing everything like that. They even have the announcer gonna, you know, just screaming at the top of his lungs. It's like there's nobody there. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. And then they, you know, they win the belt and they're jumping up on the turnbuckle and holding the thing up over the head. I go, there's nobody there. There's nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I well, what what shows about? I mean, I like Game of Thrones. I watched that, but. To tell you the truth, most of the shows that I watch anymore are British shows. Me too. For some reason. Me too. I, I like the British shows, you know, because it's like they don't seem to be as uh, agenda driven to me. No. You know what I mean? They're just not so obvious. It's like it's an interesting story and, you know, you're, you're, it, 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 it's more like the television I remember. Well, they're not afraid to push the envelope – uh, on a lot of stuff, like their sensors let things go. They're, they have a little more. And, and uh, one of the things I like about British TV is you really don't know who's going to die. It's kind of like when right. you used to watch Sons of Anarchy. You'd go, oh, my God, they killed him? That's right. To me, that was a British show because you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. We're over right. here, if somebody's put in peril, you know they're going to get out of it. Yeah. No, I, that's that's true. and. And also, it's like when I watch a British show, I don't sit there and I go, why did they cast that guy? I'm better than that guy. <laughs> you know, because I know in a British show, it's like, I, I don't, I can't be, a, I don't play British. I get it. You know, fine. I don't have to be jealous. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Brit, do you have Britbox? The, I just saw it the other day. No, I don't have it yet. I, I have that because yeah. every British show, every like old shows you can watch and, and some of the ones like One Foot in the Grave, you know. Uh-huh. Like, pitch a show like that in America. Say, go to a network executive. I have a show about people that are dying in a nursing home. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to watch that. Well, they did for years in England. Well, that reminds me. Actually, I think my favorite show and the one that I would say I could watch it over and over again is Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't get enough of it. And my my wife keeps telling me I need to get a British boyfriend because obviously that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I just and I, I've been watching this show uh, called The English Game. I have not seen that one. It's uh, it, it's and it's it's written by Julian Fellows, the uh, the Downton Abbey guy. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of. I wish I could remember the writer's name. I have him in this block, but you know he did uh, Pirate Radio and Love Actually, and uh, yeah, all he does those type of shows. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of British. Where it's a, it's yeah. drama, it's comedy, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Leslie says I'm a cumber bitch. 
Do you know what a Cumberbitch is? Uh, is it like the actor, only with a twist? It's a guy who likes Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Yeah, so it's like, I'm just... Now, can you imagine anybody in America trying to get that name on stage? Right. Run that... We're, I want to use yeah. my real name. No. 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 Were no. you were you a name change? Or is this your real name? I don't mean to be pry, but... It's, a, it's my real name. Yeah, I didn't change it. I always felt like... You're, if you change your name, you're, how's your dad going to feel? You know, it was one of those like, like, like John Wayne, you know, Mary, was Marion Morrison or whatever. You're like, well, how did his dad feel? He, he gave up his name. You know, when I first moved to New York, I had been doing the band in North Carolina. And so I have these resume pictures that say Nick Fear on it. <laughs> and I would, I would took that to the agent, and they were like Nick Fear, and I would go, yeah, it's like John Savage or something. <laughs> oh. No, that's not going to work. <laughs> so, well, just went back to my real name. Well, I'm going to ask you about the the Gosnell movie, which I saw and I loved, and I hit you up when that first came out. I mm-hmm. I really really liked that movie, and. Mm-hmm. I saw that it was getting so much hassle at the theaters. Yeah. How did you how did you finally work around the studios to get it where you wanted it? You know, we uh we I don't I won't think we were completely successful. I mean, we got it out there, but uh, you know, they really did hurt us and I think they hampered, you know, how well we could have done. We did pretty well, but I think we could have done a lot better. Um by having to go around the studios um it was released by a little company called GVN and we had it in 680 theaters, I think opening weekend. And, you know, it was really kind of sinister. They were all these reports of people going to the theater at the time that the movie is supposed to be showing and lots of confusion and no, no, it's not playing here or no, it doesn't start for another hour or, you know, that kind of thing. And then even after we had a very successful opening week, a lot of the theaters just dropped us, even even though we were maybe the best-selling picture in the multiplex at that point. They just dumped gave, us, gave up. Yeah, they didn't want to. They didn't like. Like I said, they don't want to be the people showing that movie. Right? Did you did you do well after the release, as far as like home video or streaming yes. or any that 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 did well for you? We did, um, and it's supposed to come on Netflix fairly soon. There's some sort of hang-up with it that I don't even understand because I'm not – I wasn't really a producer on Gosnell, so I don't know the ins and outs of the business side of it as well as I Yeah. I, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it was met with a lot of resistance. You know, we shot it for less than $2 million and and we made already about seven. So, I mean, it did pretty well. It made but, money. Yeah, it just would have done a lot better if they hadn't tried to kill it. Or they tried to ignore it is what they tried to do. Yeah. The only place I saw typical uh, advertisements was on Fox News. Like I saw commercials for it, but I didn't see it hardly anywhere else. Yeah, Hallmark, you know, they wouldn't run our ads. A lot of places just wouldn't run the ads. And that's because they don't want to they want to be in the club with all the other guys saying see we're like we're we're with each we, we're not like those guys we're we're cool you know yeah now these companies that released these these more religious movies lately that i that you see more of like uh, what was the one was it unbroken about the kid that drowned or yeah um, um, 
Oh, the guy who went breakthrough. Breakthrough, breakthrough. breakthrough. Yeah. Now, is that is that a studio kind of movie, or is that like a, a group that might be interested in doing what you're talking about? Is finding like a a network of more uh, conservative type people that will distribute your products? Well, what's happened? Like a, a movie like Breakthrough, I believe. Now, I may I may be wrong, but I think Breakthrough was released by Sony Affirm, which is Sony has a division. For Christian movies. So they know there's a market. Yeah, they know there's a market, but this is the subtle little thing they do. They go, yeah, we're going to make a little division so that we make these Christian movies for those rednecks out there that want to see it. But we don't want it to really be associated with our sophisticated product. So we're going to put it over there and make it a different division. Yes. And that's that's the thing that really – that gets me because – it, it just compartmentalizes it. And basically, it's a code to tell everybody else, don't go see this because it's just for Christians. Right. And right? don't and don't you think that goes back to pe- – they're dictating what people see. That small group of producers or whatever are telling people this is what you can see because I have found the flyover country is a lot more people and a lot bigger than the two coasts. And the two coasts want to dedicate – and tell you this is what you can see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that that's sort of what we're we're fighting against. It's like you know, we wanna we want a platform where people can create any kind of movie we want and we're not putting the label on it. You know, we're not saying this is just for Christians. Right. Like the the movie that I'm about to direct, if the when the world ever opens up again, is about gospel quartet music in the sixties. Oh, it's not, you know, it's not a faith based movie per se. You know, it's not only for Christians. Just it just happens to be about Christians. Yeah. About Christian people. It's more like Tender Mercies or The Apostle or something like that. And so and the funny thing is. In in sort of get we've got a company now that's backing it. But, you know, we ran it by some of the faith based divisions in uh that all of the studios have in Hollywood and it's not Christian enough for them. You know, it's not like they found a loophole. Yeah. It's like, this is uh we're really looking for something that's a little bit more obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Could you get Greg Kinnear and say the word God a lot more? Right. 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 And, and it's like, they always want sort of uh what is it? How do they put it? We're looking for contemporary stories of salvation. And so they want somebody, you know, to be saved on screen. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, I keep telling them, no, no. If you really want the movie to be effective, you want people to be saved in the car ride home after they've seen the movie. You know, <laughs> the, the, salva- the, the conversion shouldn't be on screen. It should be in the audience. Well, here's okay? what they probably want. They want a movie that at the very end, there's a call to worship. There's yeah. a, pa- a, pa- a live pastor, and you can come down at the end there's of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that would work. You know, actually, that would work. But it, it's like that's, that's the sort of – what I want to do is make a place where you can you – can, you can make movies – people like me can make movies about things that they care about, things that they believe in without having the gatekeepers go, no, we want it to be this yeah. because this is – you know. We we uh, we we want we think this appeals to this audience, and so we want it to be like this. Yeah, I've been knocking around an idea with some friends, 
in L.A. Hence, I knew why you the, said the the friends of don't say yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was to bring to do a show uh, like a conservative version of Saturday Night Live. I've actually yeah. talked to a few people and and there's some interest, but not enough to go. Yeah, let's do it. There's a whole lot of you know. I I think there could be a market for that. Yeah, I could kind of like. But where's the enthusiasm for something yeah. like that? Well, especially now. I mean, because the Trump has made everybody in Hollywood completely insane. Insane. He's driven them insane. Crazy. So, so now there's no way. There's just like no way that they could ever do something that might even be slightly conservative because then, you know, then they're completely going to be kicked out of the club because anybody who supported Trump, he's got to go. That's the, it. the Trump derangement syndrome is is rampant. Now, I'm going to take you down. You can say no if you want to, but I'll take you down the conservative conspiracy theory of L.A. Okay. And, and so you you've heard that so many of these people are against Trump because he's kind of going after the the child trafficking thing that so many people have been involved in out there. Yeah. Well, I can't I I don't have any pers- firsthand knowledge of that. And I think that's because I've never been one of the cool kids. You know, I, I didn't really ever I didn't even get started in the movie business till I was. 31 or 32. And, and by then I wasn't fresh meat anymore. So <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted you. You, nobody, you, you were, you, you were no Corey Feldman. Which I'm a little offended about. So surely somebody would have made that. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I just never had any firsthand experience with that. I'm not saying it is or isn't true. I just don't know. Yeah, that that's kind of the what the deep web thing you hear with the conversation. Yeah. That's why Hollywood hates him. They can't get the the you know the the yeah. supply they need anymore. Right. Well, that could be. I mean, I don't know, but I, I really think it's it's just. I think the reason they hate him is because they can't intimidate him like they could Bush or they could every other Republican that's come along. Have because- you ever seen anybody as 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 bold and Teflon as as him? I mean. It's amazing to me. He he could take the the worst criticism and be attacked and just come out and go, it's a great day, beautiful day, best day ever. Yeah, I know. It, it is really fascinating. And, it, and it's why they hate him. I'm convinced that, you know, maybe there is some deep, deep, you know, deep conspiracy pedo wood kind of thing going on behind the scenes, but I'm not aware of it. But I really think most of the hatred comes from the fact that he won't take their shit. Yeah. Is it and and I don't even think it's because he's rich. I don't think it's because he is a billionaire. I think that is his personality that he yeah. likes. He likes that kind of battle, that struggle. I will win not, this in the end. Well, the funny thing about Trump is like when I was in New York, it was like 1982 to 89 is when I lived there, and Trump was in the news every single day, constantly. He was always in the news. He was always making a building or he was having an affair. He was running around with, you know, he was just like this international rich guy playboy thing. And people loved that. And people loved him. And he was just, you know, he he was on the cover of the New York Post every day. And he was just, he was good copy, you know. And so then when he first was running, you know, that that was my association with him. And I was like, oh, this is a joke. You know, (laughs) this, this can't be real. You know, and even all the way up until the time he got the nomination, I was like, 
okay, all right, I guess I'll vote for that guy. I can't vote for Hillary, you know. <laughs> but I had all these friends tell me, no, man, you're missing it. He's the real thing. He's the real thing. He's what we need. He'll fight back. He's, you know, he's the only one, you know, and so. Well, he had stuck to his, like what he's been saying, if you watch those old videos from the 80s, he's basically saying the same thing all the way up to now. What This is what Absolutely. needs to be done. This is what needs to be fixed. No, he's been consistent and he's been, he's been right. I mean, he, he really has. He's been right. So I, it was funny. The first time he came to speak to uh, us out here in uh, uh, Friends of Abe, he, uh, it was right after he had first announced and he said the thing about, you know, they're not giving us their best people in mm-hmm. Mexico, from Mexico. So they told us, they said, you know, there's going to be a lot of protests and everything. So just be careful. You might want to take an Uber, all this stuff. <laughs> This hotel, and I wasn't going to go, but my friend Mark and I were talking about it, and I go, let's just go. This is going to be crazy. I just got to see what this circus is like. And so I also, I said, I want to protect my identity. So I had an old Lucha Libre mask, like a wrestling mask. Wrestling mask, mask uh-huh. Mill mascara. So Mark drove, and I had my, I put my mask <laughs> on. And and we go by all the protesters, you know, and on the way to the hotel, and I, I lean out with my mask on, mask on, and start waving, and all the protesters like going, "We are Trump is a racist, and we are we are men too. We are people." And they go, "Mil mascaras, Lucha <laughs> Libre." <laughs> and I start waving, you know, <laughs> it was hilarious. And this uh, somebody with a camera comes running up and goes, "You know, why are you wearing a mask?" I go. Look, this is a top secret organization. I can't reveal my true identity. <laughs> uh, it was fun. Well, my my wife went to the Trump rally in Colorado Springs here a while that he had a while back, and yeah. and uh, she wasn't. She's a Trump fan. She is a conservative, but she's not like I am, or probably you are, as far as conservatives. Where I'll fight anybody online. She's like, you know, right. my job. I got to keep it. She yeah. got out there and she's posting videos like, oh, this is, look at these people. Look at this crowd. Look at this is amazing. Look at this. Yeah. And, and it, it actually changed her. I saw it. I saw the, the, she walked away from that experience filled with like, that's America. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, honestly, at that thing I went to the first time I saw him, I walked in there very skeptical. He got up and he did 45 minutes. And the crowd was rolling. I mean, it was just like, this is like some of the best stand-up I've ever seen. You know, he was just hilarious. Yeah. It was just like, and after that, I was like, okay, that guy's got something. There's there's not another candidate that can do that. No, like one one of the clips I saw was like, it was a protester. And he's like, get that guy out of here. Get him out. And by the way, your mom voted for me. It was like your a mom, like your mom joke. I know he's just so good. It's like, go home to mommy, go home to mommy. Yeah. (laughs) And what was it he said the other day? He was talking, he was up on stage at the coronavirus thing. He's talking about the model. He's like, we need to get the curve down, come down to here. He says, I've never been into models. Well, well, not those kind of models. (laughs) See? (laughs) This is genius. He's, he's just hilarious. He's just naturally funny. He's got a great delivery and you know, it's, it's charismatic. Yeah. So you see it coming uh, a landslide in 2020? 
I think it's a landslide, but you know, the, the problem is the fraud. I mean, you know, they're trying to get all this vote by mail thing in there because they know that's the only way they can win is to cheat. Oh, yeah. You're right. I was just reading about that this morning. I hadn't been up on that a lot, but I was reading about how bad Nancy Pelosi wants mail-in ballots. Absolutely. And they and, and they, they ruined California because of the mail-in vote. I mean, they basically have made it absolutely impossible for a Republican to get elected here. And so you can see they've, they've basically ruined the state, and they're going to do that to the country if we, uh, if we let them. Do you, do you think that the, the Democrats are really – honestly trying to destroy the country? Because if you look at everything that they're doing, like, you know, bringing in illegals and giving them voting and giving them rights for, you know, we should pay their, uh, what is it, unemployment and stuff like that. that yeah. They just want votes. They don't care about it at all. They just want the votes. So they have to know that's destroying America, right? Yes. Yeah. I think the Democrat Party has been taken over by radical leftists. And leftists always want to destroy the country. That leftists always destroy whatever country they take over. But and they do it for power. They do it in order to centralize power to make sure that they can never be removed. You know, that they that they want to make it so that the elections don't matter. Yeah. Now, Democrats want elections like Hussein had elections where it's 99 to 1. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Vote for me or you die. Right. Yeah, I do. I, I, and uh, that but, and that's just because I think they're leftists and that's what leftists do. They've well, as a, as a good American yourself, how do you how can they look at something and hate anything about America? How, how would you look at it and go that really needs to be brought down? What what in this country, the chance to live better, to have a better job, to get a better future? We hate that. That has to stop. I don't I understand think, that. I think it's individual liberty because if you have individual liberty, if you have free individuals, you're going to have different outcomes because different people are – some people are more talented than others. Some people are better at business than others. Some people are better basketball players than others. And so some people are going to make more money. Right. And leftists can't stand that. It's like that's really the bi the biggest thing. It's like it's not fair – that somebody else has ten dollars more than I do. Yeah, it's not fair, and we got to have government come in and make it fair. Yeah, I've been preaching against that for twenty years. That's what got me in trouble in, in Hollywood years ago. Is I, I've always said there's no, nothing's ever equal. I got so tired of equal, equal. You know, we're not taller, shorter, fatter, wider, yeah, faster, right. slower. We're not. Yeah. We never. And how can you not look at that in real life and go, that's not the way it is? Right. And it, well, they can't accept that because that leaves them out of the equation. They also have to, in order to solidify their power, they have to be the arbiters of fairness. They have to be given the power to decide who has enough and who doesn't have enough, and they can take it away and redistribute it. Well, That's that, what doesn't it always look to that a lot of the liberals, especially if you watch the videos or, or Antifa-looking things, <laughs> looking things, yeah. that they're – they're not attractive people, and they want to. They don't even try to be attractive anymore. It's it's yeah. like I know I'm not attractive, so I'm going to put 18 pins in my face and shave one side of my head and make it worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> it's true. It's like you know, even though I'm ugly, you have to say I'm pretty. You have to say it. it say it. Yeah. Body positive. You know. Yeah. Like, Love me for who I am. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 a weird weird time we're going through, but I do think that the majority is on our side. It's just a matter is if if we can keep the leftists from uh, from stealing the election from us. Yeah. So. Well, let me ask you this question. The, my uh, the podcast name is Remasculate. The, yeah. Uh, that and I started this years ago when another DJ friend, radio DJ, ha- he had a, a baby, and we were talking about the problems and how people are not raising sons anymore. That's where had this whole thing got started. You know, like. There was this whole thing about they're free to be what they want to be. No, they're not. Give them a BB gun and tell them to go shoot something. Right. <laughs> so, right. So what do you think has been missing from from that? How are we not raising boys to be boys again? Or how can we change that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough question. I mean, basically, it, it, I think that it, the reason it's it's happening that way is that fathers aren't involved. That we've kind of like either we've stepped away or we've gotten too busy and we're allowing our sons to be raised by the television or or by teachers or and and we just don't get involved. And (laughs) and of course, some some kids are in a situation where they don't necessarily have a father. Mm -hmm. And so the government has stepped in, you know, and said, you don't need a father. We'll be the father. And so what happens is they just don't they don't ever get that uh, masculine training. Yeah, they don't. Now, obviously, you grew up with that kind of stuff, right? You you had the boy upbringing because you you've yeah. definitely got the yeah in you. Well, well, my father was a contractor and a builder, and so uh, and 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 a basketball coach, and a, you know, and all kinds of things. So I, I grew up around all that stuff, and and uh, you know, grew up on construction sites, and and you know, trying to get out of work that my dad wanted me to do. Uh huh. So you, but you grew up with the same kind of dad, much like. I had and other dads were like, shake it off. Don't, cr- yeah. don't cry. Get back to work. You'll be fine. Yeah, what are you, a little pussy? Get yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, now if you fall off your bicycle, the, the mom is like, oh my God, are you okay? My dad was like, get up, get back on it. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, I, I had horses when I was a kid. So it was almost that whole thing of you fall off a horse, you get back on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a different time. You know, they're they're all crowing about toxic masculinity now. You know, it's like, stop being so tough. You know, if you fall off a horse, lay there and cry about it. Yeah. No, that's what a real man would do. Yeah. He's not going to be tough and get back on. He's going to cry. I don't remember John Wayne ever falling off his horse and laying there and going, just give me a second. Just a second. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> I got Busted my ass! I don't want to get back on yet. <laughs> there's the com- there's the western that needs to be made. The, That's right. The, the, the sensitive cowboy. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you doing the the podcast with me. Where I we hit the hour. I hate to keep you, but this is this has been so much fun. I I, I know. I posted earlier that I was going to have you on as a guest, and so many people are like, "Oh my God, he's my favorite!" I don't. How did you do this? And I go, "I just that's asked." Great. I just. Yeah, that's great. Somebody calling me, going, "Get off Steve's podcast!" podcast. You've got another one to do. <laughs> well, it, this is where I always ask the guests: Is there anything that you want to promote or tell them where to find you? Because I, I think, didn't you just start a new thing with local? Yeah, there's a thing. You can find it on my Twitter feed, you know, it's, uh, but there's a new thing called Locals.com, which is kind of like a, it's a subscription site, 
basically where you get sort of, uh, you know, original content on there that I'll put up that you won't get anywhere else. And it's, it's, uh, it's a real startup company and, and, you know, it's on a trial basis. First month is free right now just to see if you like it. So yeah, if you go to my Twitter feed, you can find that or my Facebook page. I'll have to go check that out. I, I saw that quickly this morning and I thought, I haven't signed up for that yet. How do I know what th- might be something Nick wants to talk about today? Yeah, it's a, the, the first thing I put up was that Imagine song that everybody liked, that, uh, you know, the, where I I play the uh, the Imagine There's No Acting version. Yeah, yeah. I actually was inspired by that video to do a liber- Liberal Larry video of that. <laughs> Yeah, I saw it. It was great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Well, Matt, I appreciate you doing the podcast, and uh, good luck to all this in the future. And if you ever would love to do this again, I'd love to have you on again. So We'll do it again one of these days. Maybe when I get my movie made, we'll, well, I'll come back and we'll talk about it. That's Oh, wait. Well, well, one more time. before One more question before you go. I'm sorry I got you. But when you did Three Billboards and uh, The, uh, the Shape, Shape of, of Water— yeah. How how you hit those back to back two great academy movies. How did that right. how did that feel? Well, the funny thing is the shape of water just fell out of the sky. Guillermo del Toro just I got an email one day and he offered me the part. I didn't you know, he just sort of sought me out cuz he was a justified fan. It was just a gift from him and it was great. The three billboards thing. My mother called me up and she said they're shooting a movie here. And they shot that movie in my hometown in North Carolina. Ah. My mother calls me up and goes, they're shooting a movie here. You ought to see if you can get it in. <laughs> I called my agent. And I said, there's some movie called Three Billboards that's shooting in my hometown. And they go, well, that's a pretty good movie. I said, well, I said, you might ought to tell them. I don't know if they know this or not, but there's a local ordinance there that they're not allowed to shoot a major feature film that I'm not in. <laughs> And so the agent goes, well, we'll call over there. And so they they called and they called back and they said, well, it's pretty much cast, but there's two little parts. There's one where there's one, there's this dentist who gets a hole drilled in his hand. And then there's this priest who gets uh, cussed out by Francis McDormand. And I said, I'll take the priest. (laughs) A good choice. It was a good choice. Yeah, so I, that's how that came about. I didn't know that they were both going to be released in the same year or that they were both going to be nominated, but my mom basically got me the part in Three Billboards. <laughs> yeah, because I – well, I uh, reason I was wondering about that is because you had already done the Rush Limbaugh thing. People were already aware that you were a little more conservative, and then you yeah. got both those big Hollywood movies, and I thought, uh, you got to have some good clout going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That people always ask me that, and I just go, well – it's because I'm that awesome. I have to agree. I have to agree. Well, right. Nick, thanks for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, you have a great day. Stay healthy. Wash those hands. And uh, I shall. I'll All be right. I'll be looking I'll be looking for more stuff on YouTube and Facebook and local. Locals.com. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. Appreciate All right. it. See Talk ya. To you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Great job. Thank you. And there you have it. What a great interview with Nick Searcy. Gotta love the guy. He's been so many good movies, so many good TV shows, and obviously a great American. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you'll share it with your friends because you know that's the only way people find us in the podcast world. We don't have the advertisers. We don't have the big podcast network behind us. Um, I'm just a little little guy in my home studio 
trying to get the message out. So give it a thumbs up. Share it with your friends. Share, share, share. Please do. And uh, until next time, God bless America. Go listen to some Oak Ridge Boys. I bid you adieu.